Hello, and welcome to Bangers, the video game podcast about games in which you shoot things. Good games, bad games, mad games. This time, warm up your lasers, because the greys are here, and we've got to rouse the multinational coalition. It's XCOM, but not as you know it. have a history with the XCOM franchise. Yes, I do. I um I've I played the 1990s game I think from an abandonware website a little bit before. It it's a pretty good game. It holds up quite well even today. Um once you can get past the really really 90s user interface. And by the time this game came out, XCOM Enemy Unknown, the Firaxis game had released i think at the time i had about 500 hours of XCOM enemy unknown (laughs) um partly because it was one of the few games i could afford at the time yeah so i got my money's worth awesome but also it was just really compelling to me so would you say that you're you're a fan of XCOM? yeah i'm a big fan of the new XCOM, and i'd even played those um those early 2000s ufo aftermath games how did you play the bureau xcom declassified i downloaded xcom the bureau declassified bureau the xcom declassified declassified the bureau xcom yep um <laughs> onto my pc from gog cool cheap uh, i think it cost me about a tenner oh but okay and gog had that sale a little while ago so okay so you paid quite a lot more than me then i paid 75 pence and got mine from a used gaming store used gaming chain rather called cex and it didn't even have its own official cover they'd printed off a cover yeah you sent me a a video of you going what the hell is this yeah i don't know if this is okay or not um i don't know whether the i don't know whether 2k would be happy to know that their games are being sold on with uh, with covers that they probably didn't they didn't sign off. But I mean, it's a cool cover. The artwork is nice, and it's nice to have something a bit different. But I know I'd be a bit uh, troubled if uh, well, it's, it's their game singular one copy of. Yeah, yeah, and it was seventy five pence. Um, and despite the negative things we are about to say about the game i definitely think it was it was worth a lot more than 75 pence <laughs> yeah i think i think i got my money's worth for a tenner definitely yeah definitely so stick with us because even though we're about to say nasty things about the game for the first part of this uh, podcast it does get better really it's only the first level or the first non-tutorial level that we have a problem with. Yes. Yeah. So. so let's talk about the game. First, before we talk about anything to do with this game, I have three questions that I need to ask you, James. Okay. So question the first. Do you own or have you ever owned a fedora? I think I have. I bought it while quite drunk at a festival. I've also owned a Stetson that looked a bit like a fedora. Okay. Well, so you, you owned a fedora. Okay. Yep. 
Question the second. How does wearing a fedora make you feel? Well, right now it would make me feel an intense feeling of shame. But maybe if I was a 1950s man, I wouldn't feel that because I'd be wearing period appropriate clothes. That's, that's fair enough. That is fair enough. Um, question the third. Are you a prick? I like to think I'm not, but there's probably some people out there who think I am. Okay, so your answer is that you have earned a fedora, you're a bit ashamed about it, and you're not a prick. Well, I like to think so, but I see where you're going with this. Right, because William Carter, don't know if he has a middle name, I don't know if it comes up, it probably does, everyone seems to have a middle name in this time period. William Carter, he owns a fedora, He's very proud of it because there is a dedicated action in this game to pick the fucking thing up, right? And he is a prick. He is immediately unlikable. I really should we just get into talking about the bureau XCOM Declassified? Yep. Because I go into every game trying to guess who's going to be the prick. Who's going to? Is it going to be the antagonist? But no, immediately. Oh no, it's it's me. I'm the prick. Player character is the prick. <laughs> this is a third person shooter. Set in the 1960s. During an alien invasion that starts you off in a US military base that's under attack for your tutorial level. Well, before we get there, we get the we get all the brass. It's a bit Doctor Strange love. We get all the brass sat around the war table in the war room, and they're all kind of like, What's going on? What's happening? And one of them says, I believe it's Falk, who is your he's kind of like the head of XCOM in this game. He's your boss for the game. He says, oh, we don't know what these noises are. We've been hearing them from outer space, but they are definitely they are definitely splinter cells being activated, which is kind of a leap. Like, what? You don't know what the noises are, but they're definitely activating rogue agents on Earth. <laughs> what does that mean? You don't know that. See, I completely glossed over that because it didn't really amount to anything. And also, you get there during the military base tutorial level, and they're all already dead anyway, so... True. And the other thing to mention from the start is... Carter, the main character, the prick, he immediately... Well, can you, can you just talk, talk me through that opening scene? Of him in so, the briefcase. Carter is getting drunk in his room. Of course he is. Feeling sad for himself. Of course he is. Um, he has a bad dream. And then a woman in military uniform comes in. And her face goes weird. And then she attacks Carter and tries to steal the suitcase he's got. And then she shoots him. Before her face goes weird, Carter is very handsy with this woman, which is something that happens throughout this game. Like, Carter is Carter is your 1960s sort of stereotypical, um, hard-boiled cop kind of, kind of character. And He's a madman character, but without <laughs> any of the charisma. Carter gets blown up, or he's shot and then blown up. And he's all healed, and he's like, what happened? Immediately, I thought to myself, oh, Carter's a Cylon. Yeah, there's clearly something going on. Carter is now a, an agent of uh, of the aliens, and that's going to be the twist. Immediately, that's what I thought. 
So, yeah, you get shot and there's a bright light and then you have the bad dream again. So they're, they're laying it on pretty thick. This is, um, this puts you into the tutorial level, which is the base being under attack from aliens. Um, you meet the two enemies who you will be fighting for the entire game. These are sectoids, who are your little little grey men. They did, don't have mouths. Fun fact about sectoids. Did you know, this game was released in 2013, did you know that sectoids weren't even in this game until 2012? Yes, they were added to, um, to make people who'd played the other game that came out that was much more successful a year earlier be uh, happier with it. We should probably talk about the difficulty here. So this game recommends that you start on a difficulty called Veteran, which you absolutely under no circumstances should do because enemies are just too bullet spongy in that difficulty and it's much more fun on any lower difficulty. We'll get to it, but the first few hours of this game are a slog and on Veteran it just feels like it's never ending. It doesn't feel fun. Enemies just take so long to kill. Especially as early on you don't have any of the powers that either you or your AI buddies get. And you just don't have the abilities to make the encounters more fun. For all of its faults, it does try to be like XCOM and it does try to have you, it does try to give you a squad. And so at the start, it gives you these two guys, Kinney and Nils. Yeah, Nils, who have abilities that you can command in a, um, in like a slowed down, how would you describe that? Like a slowed down action it's tactical menu? basically almost exactly like the power select screen from Mass Effect. Yeah, it's the power select screen from Mass Effect. You give orders to your troops, you tell them to go into certain positions, they go there and they use their powers. It's kind of weird when you get Kinney and Nils at the start because they are end tier characters. And so- yeah, they've definitely got a few levels underneath them. Yeah, so you're kind of like, oh sweet, this guy's got a laser turret. No idea why, because the aliens have just appeared. So how could he have alien technology already? But never mind, that doesn't matter. He has got a laser turret. The other guy's got this like uh, airstrike thing that he can deploy, which is awesome. And for the tutorial, you do kind of feel like a badass because it's like, oh, go over there, bang, 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 everything's dying, and yeah, it's it's fun. Like in the tutorial. You do feel like a, a powerful unit with Kinney and Nils. Carter continues throughout all of this to just be an arsehole. Like, every time someone tries to say something of encouragement, try and get through this horrible situation where aliens are invading planet Earth and Carter is seeing people being blown to bits. It's horrible. And people are just trying to lift their spirits up, try and communicate to him on a human basis. And he's just an arsehole. He's just an absolute arsehole from the start of this game to the end of it. The only time where he's nice to people is... It comes off as creepy. It comes off as very creepy and unsolicited harassment. Yeah, so he gets they get to the base and take Carter it away. Carter is rude to everyone. Yeah, Carter is rude to everyone. So this is like the XCOM base, I, I guess. Yeah, the, the base really, really wants to be the Normandy from Mass Effect. It wants to be the place where oh, you go back. Oh, it does. And you, you chat to each NPC and you have an extended conversation with them. 
Yeah, and it's here that you meet... Um, you've previously met uh, Falk, who is the big boss of XCOM. You've met Angela Weaver, who is sort of like the cool CIA agent who know, who already knew about the aliens. She's, she's basically um, Mulder from... The X-Files, which is uh, David Duchovny's character in X-Files. She's basically that. She has had experience with the aliens. She believes in the aliens. And she is the ass-kicking, super cool CIA agent that uh, everyone knows and loves. But she's a woman! So, obviously, everyone's got to be an arsehole to her. And Carter is no exception. Throughout the conversations in the base i didn't pay much attention to them because there was a thing that really really got on my nerves which is whenever carter talks to someone his hand clips through his holster in a really noticeable way (laughs) and it kept drawing my eye i didn't notice i don't know if this is going to be like a pc versus ps3 thing but i honestly didn't notice once he once he gets the big snuggly turtleneck jumper it's not so bad but when he's still in his suit, it looks really, really bad to me. When you meet one of the more likable characters in the game, who's called Nico De Silva, who Carter shares an office with on the XCOM base, Carter uh, repeatedly, like he, again, maybe this is like a PlayStation 3 thing, uh, his hand repeatedly just sort of like kept jutting out really quickly as if he was going to attack Nico. I don't know if there's like an issue with the animation or something, but anyway, as well with Nico, Nico tries to befriend Carter. They are sharing a, a office space together. They are told as well that they're going to be sleeping in the office space because obviously the world is at war and um, there are no bunks that they can occupy. So uh, Nico's like, look, uh, can I call you Will? We're going to be here. We're going to have to get to know each other and Carter is immediately dismissive and no yeah. no friends <laughs> so no we do not get to speak we don't want to speak to me I don't want to speak to you we're going to fight the aliens and the commies so yeah Carter's a prick to De Silva and uh, there is also a case file on Carter did you read the case file yes he's he's a useless alcoholic why is he a useless alcoholic James because he was fighting in Korea, I want to say. Yeah, why not? One of America's random and wars. He was fighting in one of America's mid-century imperialist wars. And um, his family died while he was out fighting in one of America's mid-century imperialist wars. In Arlington, Texas, which is very nice. Yeah. Not, he wasn't fighting in Arlington, Texas. They died in Arlington, <laughs> Texas. A uh, house fire, of all things. And J. Edgar Hoover, of all people, uh, Carter's boss in his previous role, before he joined XCOM, said, he's shit, don't hire him. Falk, yep. don't hire him for XCOM because he's rubbish. I don't like Carter. I think he's a, a, a bastard man. So you shouldn't hire him. Uh, and... I agree with J. Edgar Hoover. Carter has to go and uh, he has to go and see what the hubbub is about because Nils, one of the characters that you were with, 
in the tutorial he's not responding or something so you go down to the where an alien autopsy is being done or again something it's the infirmary yeah in the infirmary and nils is dead then you fight an alien um and your buddies conveniently come through the door and shoot the alien with you yeah which is nice and then you uh you stick the alien in a cell fair play you know he's broken in i don't know how he broke in but uh Fair play. We've we've done it. We've done it, team. We've captured the alien scum. You also meet a, a scientist, a German called Heinrich Dresner. He's almost certainly a Nazi, given when this is set. Yeah, this this game is full of Nazi doctors. So um, after this happens, you get sent off on your first mission. Oh, can I just uh, interject and ask what colour you made? the uh, the boys and um did you give them any special names i didn't give them any special names because i couldn't be bothered but i did color them all purple i colored them all pink and might i say if we weren't if the enemy was better armed than we were we were certainly more dashing <laughs> because pink carter and his pink jumpsuit boys they were ready for action. So there's a mission select screen and you can pick various different missions. These are divided into your main missions, which are the critical part of the game. And there's side missions. We're not going to talk about the side missions because they're mainly not very consequential. Well, they do build some atmosphere uh, sometimes, but they are just basically, hey, do you like fighting in this game? Because we can just give you infinite amounts of that. And I had not decided that I didn't like fighting in this game yet. But after the first mission, I was like, well, I'm never doing a side mission. <laughs> I ended up doing pretty much all of the side missions. and You're a brave man. Apart from one of them, which was mild, mildly atmospheric. It was set in a, a swamp where some hillbillies had been attacked by the aliens and then there was a kind of mass grave which was a bit creepy Very most creepy. of them were pretty forgettable combat encounters speaking of creepy how did you feel tonally about mission one so mission one which is the rosemont university i felt it was trying to be creepy but never quite made it I liked the atmosphere like quite a lot. I liked walking down the kind of main street USA of a small American town and just seeing it being completely devastated. This was one of the most striking images in the game for me of you just walking down small town USA, seeing the homecoming banner flying by you. And it was it was possibly the first and only time in this game where it really got me and i thought ah good stuff you also this is the first level where you'll meet the sleepwalkers the aliens have infected people and they are wandering around in a haze repeating the last thing that they did over and over and over again and they have black goose like just dripping from them which is Kind of gross, but I like the idea. I thought they were quite effective, especially as they... 
I think there's only one instance in the, the entire game where they're aggressive. Yeah, I did think it was going to try and spec ops the liners and uh, try and make us fight them at some point, but it never does that, which, good thing, bad thing, that's up to you to decide. So, you fight your way through this town, and it's a set of pretty frustrating combat encounters. Yeah, it is. This is the point in the game where I realised that my difficulty level was set too high for my ability, and I didn't want to WhatsApp James and say that, oh, I need to turn it down because it's too hard for me. I didn't want to message him, but eventually he messaged me and said that, and I was like, oh, thank God, now I can do it. I think just the default difficulty, it's not even that it's particularly hard, it's just everything takes about three times as long as it should. It's just boring. Like When you start the game anew, and you've got your two new guys, because Nils is dead and Kinney is gone off with De Silva in his group. So your new guys, are they just don't have any abilities. So everything, it just feels like a slog for the first few hours. And it's just not fun. It's just really, really boring. <laughs> and Carter just every now and again making gruff noises whilst your men fail to follow the most basic orders of oh can you stand on this side of the wall because the other side of the wall will lead you to being shot in the head the other thing that makes the difficulty too annoying is that your your ai buddies can permanently die which is the reason that they have no personality but they're too stupid that unless you micromanage them on the higher difficulty they will die. Whenever they're under fire, they start screaming and making like a lot of noises. It always feels as if we are in Oliver Stone's platoon. Like Even if there's just one sectoid running around and they'll start screaming like, I'm not going to make <laughs> it! And things like that. James, what are the guns like in this game? This game tries to do the thing that the tactics games do where it has tiers of weapons and on each tier you'll have one of each type of weapon so there's pistols assault rifles sniper rifles shotguns and heavy weapons and they're meant to correspond to the character classes or they're meant to respond to yeah. how you kit out your soldiers in the older XCOM games um so and then you've got the three tiers which are conventional human weapons laser and then plasma i'm not sure it quite works i am going to be honest right now i pretty much stayed to the same weapons I, I tried to swap out to the alien weapons but i pretty much stayed to my sniper rifle for the majority of the time i gave horseman and sexy boy alien weapons and they seemed to enjoy them but for a carter it was all about the sniper rifle <laughs> I quite consciously tried out all of the weapons whenever I got them. Um, I was particularly disappointed with the shotguns. I mean, we could go through them all, but they're all a bit naff. Like none of them, <laughs> none of them have any weight towards them whatsoever. And the shotgun is kind of immediately pointless because you never spend any time in this game up close and personal. There might be the odd time where you turn around the corner and see an outsider and you're like, oh, but meh. Well, I felt that the, the opportunity cost for carrying a shotgun around was never 
It was never paid in full. The weapons I used for most of the game were the the laser pistol. Right. And the laser pulse rifle. Which is the, the laser version of the assault rifle. It's like um it it handles a bit like the battle rifle from the Halo series. Okay. Very late on in the game, you get a lightning cannon or lightning gun or something like that. And I immediately wanted to test it out and I fired it. But it only had one shot in it. And then I never found another one in the entire game. <laughs> there were a couple of other heavy weapons. There was the blaster launcher and the rotary cannon. But the blaster launcher, I never felt it was a grenade launcher. I never felt it had long enough range to be particularly worthwhile and the ammo was quite scarce. It didn't hold much ammo, so you, you had to refill it quite often. And the rotary cannon, it took too long to charge up and it wasn't. It didn't fire for long enough for each clip. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, the guns are just a soft garnishing for the skills, really. Yeah. None of them are great, and it's it's like, oh, good, you're a sniper rifle, bang, bang, you're a shotgun, bang, bang. None of them feel good. None of them really have a, a character or a personality to them. They're just, they're soft garnishing. Should we cover the skills a little bit? Yeah, I mean, the skills... Are, are much more interesting than the guns. So I think the skill that I used the absolute most was one that Carter gets, which was lift. Oh, I thought you were going to say, like, just dismissive of women. Sexism. <laughs> A woman! I'm not sure that really comes up in combat. So I went through the most... I tried out every class, but I ended up settling most of the game for the support class just because it's got a skill that lets you strip the armor off boss enemies. Yeah. And the sniper. I just felt that the, the or the scout, I think it is, I just felt that the scout was much better than all of the other classes. Well, the sniper had an instant kill move, basically. And yeah, it will either take off one fairly weak enemy off the board it will remove a pretty significant chunk of a tough enemy yeah it uh in a game where i didn't really enjoy the the combat the sniper was really good because he he could make combat quite short so i was a big fan of the sniper i also used an engineer because i like turrets um it was kind of a waste but you know sexy boy liked his turrets <laughs> when I tried out the engineer, I felt that he, um, his turret was just a little bit too weak. It died too quickly. Yeah. I mean, my strategy throughout all of this game was set up a turret, do some sniping, throw a silicoid, and just throw everything. Just all of the skills. All of the minions. Yeah, all the skills, all the minions, all the time, hide in a bubble, and uh, hope for the best. So how did you feel about the Muton? It was a big enemy that I shot at, and that's how I'm going to feel for all of the bosses and encounters in this game. It plonks an enemy down, it has slightly more health than the previous enemy, and you shoot it for a bit, 
Sometimes they are big and lumbering. Sometimes they are fast. Sometimes they are a rocket launcher. It's it's all so basic. And I just, I hate being this negative about a game. And we will get more positive about it. But at this stage, I was coming up with every excuse to talk you out of doing this. Like, <laughs> yeah, you actually you sent me a message saying that you wanted to. Can we just skip it and do the next game? Yeah, I I I don't know if I was that blatant to start with. I tried to be sneaky and try and make it that it would be your suggestion. I think I said multiple times. I read a nerve it. I think I said multiple times. Oh, we don't have to do it if you don't want to. I was basically trying to gaslight you into. <laughs> not doing this game i was trying to uh manipulate you and put you down so that you didn't feel like you could continue and again that's that's a problem with my character not yours but uh we we continued we continued and the muton wasn't the worst thing that we would fight but uh things do get better um, i i think that the muton was actually a different enemy and then um, Enemy Unknown came out. So they took this existing enemy and they stuck the Muton's face from Enemy Unknown over its face and called it a Muton. So how did you feel about the Sector Pod? Uh. <laughs> See, later on you meet more Sector Pods and I thought they were quite fun later on. But this first one, you just don't have the firepower to take it down in a fun way. So I ended up kiting it. It's just a bullet sponge, and I wrote it down here. This is the first time the AI has become a problem. It's basically firing rockets at you. Uh, Sectopod is like a little walker. It's sort of like uh, the the uh, XCOM version of an ATST from uh, Star Wars. It's a little walker, and it fires pretty much rockets at you. The AI, I was saying, like, oh, guys, get into cover. And they just go onto the opposite side of the wall as if, oh no, Carter, we, we want to be shot by rockets because death would be better than listening to you, Carter. It's like, oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, guys. So yeah, Sectopod, again, very tedious. And I just, I really wanted you to say, come, let's stop doing this. But I didn't want to be the one to buckle. So, and you're a stronger human being than I am. So you continued, and weak as I am, I had to go along with it. So the uh, the sector pod in Enemy Unknown is a September enemy, which means that it's the last non-boss enemy that you will encounter. This did feel a bit big time for this. This yeah. is still mission one. Like we are still in the learning times of uh, of the bureau. Again, like the weaponry, it does sort of reveal its entire hand very very quickly. Yeah, I think after the sector pod, the only enemies that you get are the goos. Mm -hmm. What are they called? Silicoids. The silicoids, which are like goo blobs. Yeah, they're my favorite. One of my favorite things in the game. So let's be nice about <laughs> them. Outsiders get a bunch more variants of outsider. So they get an outsider that summons drones, and they get an outsider that has shields and they get an outsider that can turn invisible. Yeah, you basically get like one with a helmet that's psychic, one with a helmet that can split in two, blah, 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 blah. So there's not much enemy variety and most of it is slightly reskinned versions of the mo enemy you'll be fighting for most of the game. And again, we are coming across as really negative, 
but this game does get better. It is just it it preloads all of its rubbish very very early on, but it does get so much better. So you then fight through the university, you fight to the observatory where you meet a scientist. Um, I didn't remember his name because he basically immediately dies thereafter. Oh, the assistant. Yeah. Lawrence Bailey is his name. He is the assistant of Dr. Doctor uh, Weir, who is... You meet like two combat encounters later. Yeah, he is a key character for this game. He is one of the major characters of the game. He is basically Q for XCOM. He designs all of your stuff that the Nazis don't design. <laughs> Unlike Heinrich Dresner, who is a horrible Nazi man, Dr. Weir came across as a delightful dad-like man to me. Weir is Weir is Australian, and I thought that the subtext was hidden, but he is, uh, he's a gay man, and he's obviously a brilliant scientist as well. And in, obviously in the 1960s in America, you can only imagine what, gay liberal scientist you know living that life would have been like that was really hidden i thought i don't think it was explicit that that was his life i don't actually remember it ever coming out and saying he was gay but there is quite a lot of subtext when you initially meet him and lawrence yeah i think the the inference is that lawrence and weir uh lawrence bailey and um and Dr. Weir were in a relationship, which is even more fascinating because later on in the game, it turns out uh, that Lawrence was an alien, um, another Cylon, but which is never really explained. But again, they were they were in love. I would have liked a little bit more about that. It would have helped set the, the scene a little bit more for the 1960s vibe. However... Lawrence immediately dies, and then you fight the gunship. How did you feel about the gunship? The gunship was bad. The gunship nearly made me quit. The gunship, this is my note. Gunship is very tedious. This may be subjective. We'll have to see what James thinks, but I really don't find this game enjoyable at all. See, my gunship notes are, the gunship fight took far too much long. In general, enemies in this game have much too much HP. It gets better later on. You fight more gunships, and they're better later on when you can actually damage them. Yeah, again, the game does get better. We are being really negative, but the game gets better. You will have the laser shotgun and human ballistic weapons. It's it, You've been given a shotgun to fight it. You've been given an alien shotgun to fight something that's really high in the air. That's not fair. And that's more or less the end of the mission. We went through this mission in some detail. I really don't think there is much point in going through all of the missions in this detail, even though there's only like, how many is like four? There's four or five main missions, and then there's a uh, a bunch of side missions. We've saved Dr. Weir, and we return to XCOM Base. And this is another Normandy section where you talk to all the people. Yes, you've got to talk to all the people. Now, I actually quite like XCOM Base as an idea. 
but it felt a little bit too big and spread out for me. Like it would have been nicer if it was a bit smaller and more claustrophobic with the people maybe a little bit all closer together. I don't know how you felt. I sort of never actually went into the like the armory or the preparation room except when the game specifically told me to. So you didn't talk to Falk's British mate? Yeah, basically. I talked to him once and then never went back to him. Yeah, there is a... In this game, there is a stereotypical British man who apparently works with Falk, even though he's a seemingly a low-ranking officer... And he's all like, oh, yeah, when me and Falk used to be together, we used to get into all sorts of scrapes we did. Oh, I saved his bacon on many occasions, all gone and done. And it's just that for the entire game. And it's tedious <laughs> if you're British. But there are a few characters here that actually have something to say. Are we going to talk about the alien now? Yep, stupid sexy alien. The stupid sexy alien with his lovely six-pack... You know who this alien was, don't you? Who was this alien? He was the Drell. What was that? What was the guy called in um, Mass Effect Two, Mass Effect Three? Oh, I know the one you mean, the green one. Yeah, what's he called? Let's look this up. In green place. guy, Mass Effect Two. Oh, I I've searched and. It's gone to a weird place. Oh, Thane. Thane Krios. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, in the Bureau, they have their own Thane Krios, who is another sexy, very sexy uh, alien in the Mass Effect franchise. This guy, we'll just call him Infiltrator, because that's all he's ever called. It's a plot point that the aliens don't have names and you repeatedly try and make him tell you his name and he's like, no, I don't have a name. I've never been given a name. But he is very sexy. He, You question him and he starts off really hostile and then suddenly he becomes really friendly. Well, you you rip the thing out of his head, don't you? Yeah, the implant that makes him controlled. Yeah, there's a thing in this game called Mosaic, which is like the... MacGuffin plot point or something, which is basically WhatsApp for, for the, the aliens. aliens. Internet. Yeah, it's WhatsApp for the aliens. They all talk on it. So, is this where the Russian is, or is the Russian the next base? Well, the Russian's a bit later, but this kind of brings up the issue of this game. Now, again, you are a much more prolific XCOM player than I am, so you need to step in here and tell me your emotional ties to your XCOM men. But this game is basically trying to be a Mass Effect. It is trying to have that style of combat. It's trying to have this um, grand story uh, action RPG. But yet, the character it gives you, Carter, okay, William Carter isn't my cup of tea, but for some people, some people might like Carter. Whatever, that's cool. The other two characters you control are just randos. You can name them anything you want. They are inconsequential. They can die and you just replace them. But the game is full of interesting characters that you could ostensibly have had on your, in your party. Yep, like this guy, the uh, the alien who doesn't have a name. Yeah, the sexy alien, you know, infiltrator. It, he, he is very... Um, what's the word? He's very 
amiable, <laughs> considering he's He's hitting. amiable and he's got quite a lot of pathos. At times, his character kind of goes towards the idea that he would like Carter to win. He, that he's rooting for Carter. And if he joined you, that could have been really interesting. The fact that you're working with this this invader. And later on, there you meet a Russian spy who is on the XCOM base. And again, could have could have had a Russian in 60s red panic America having a Russian and an alien on your team. It just would have been really interesting. I think both um, Nico and Agent Weaver could have been quite good. Weaver, Nico De Silva, you've got uh, Dr. Weir. Like Dr. Weir is noted a few times in the game as being a bit of a badass. Like He can definitely use a gun and he's definitely hardy. He's seen some combat. Like I, It's all... like uh, There's some really fun characters in this game. Like, it, 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 they're there might be some things that we don't like about the game, but there are a lot of good characters. There are a lot of interesting characters. There might be some cookie cutter stuff going on with them, but definitely fun. I don't know. What do you what do you think about that in terms of? Because obviously, XCOM is a game with a lot of well, randoms. XCOM Enemy Unknown and to an extent XCOM Two. They both have quite because your soldiers have very little inbuilt personality mm. they have this kind of crew of support team characters who you'll come back to every base every time you go back to base and they'll interject throughout the mission um so XCOM enemy unknown has dr varlin who is the science chief science officer and she's all about she wants you to preserve alien corpses and not use explosives and she's also really creepy she's the one who interrogates aliens sweet um, it's got dr shen who is your chief engineer he's much more uh what if the alien technology makes us like the aliens and he wants to preserve humanity he's the nice guy doctor and then it's got central officer bradford who's like in enemy unknown he's this bright-eyed idealistic young man who's yeah he really believes in the mission, and then in XCOM 2, which is set after the aliens win, he's a much more kind of cynical, embittered older man. Okay. So the XCOM games do have this, but the other thing that they have that this game misses is that your soldiers sort of gain a personality. Yeah. Like you'll have the sniper who he whiffs every single shot except when it really matters. And that's sort of like what you remember him for or you'll have the assault who you always use to pull off like the clutch really aggressive play that shouldn't work out but somehow does and then it you feel something when you lose them because you've played a few dozen missions through with them but because you're not in command of them and because you're spending a lot less time thinking about them except to activate the powers the followers here are just blanks they're they're they are a vehicle for powers yeah i i remember fondly naming naming some of the soldiers in XCOM enemy unknown after friends and that being a terrible idea because i got really emotionally involved with them and 
when they died because I'm terrible at the game. <laughs> it really like it upset me because it's like, oh, there's you know that character represented my friend, and I told my friend that they were going to be a character in my game, and they picked their class out, and it you know that upset me. Whereas these guys, I named my I went through the entire game with the same two guys. I named them Sexy Boy and Horseman. <laughs> and that I, you know, the only joy I got was when the subtitles came up and it said something like Horseman says, look at the size of that thing. <laughs> See, I didn't even name my, uh, my dudes. Did you just like, default them? I couldn't tell you what they were called. I called them by their class. In the second mission as well, De Silva, who is the nice guy that Carter shares an office with, we find out that he's trapped behind enemy lines. Oh no. He's gone to investigate a big tower that the aliens are building for nefarious reasons. And he has been indoctrinated by the Reapers or the Black Goo <laughs> has got him or whatever the sleeper stuff is. Basically he's fucked. And you can choose whether you whether you rescue him or whether he goes out in a blaze of glory driving a car into a thing. Which one did you do? I saved him because why wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. And he still like sets the car up anyway, so you don't risk anything by not saving him. You fight your way through, you go up the tower, and then you meet a nefarious alien who taunts you. Can I just say again with the setting that this level sets up um, a few things which continue throughout the game, which, again, touched me, and I don't know whether it's because I'm a massive wimp or whatever, but there's a letter to dead, a dead soldier's parents, um, which kind of coldly describes him as being brave and being, you know, a, a loyal soldier, and there's a, a sense of weight to that, which, you know, it's kind of a senseless death. There's also a an audio log and a and a note, and you can see that someone's committed suicide outside of a treehouse, or they've shot themselves from the treehouse and their body has fallen. And it's just little touches like that, which you know, given this is two K Marin and their work on the Bioshock series, you can kind of see that bleeding through here of environmental storytelling. Uh, so, should we talk about Axis? Yes, Axis, who is a nefarious alien who comes out of nowhere and um, taunts you. He's a moustache-twirling knobhead, basically. He uh, he also taught... He's the one, first time you hear mention of Mosaic, which is the uh, the alien's internet outside of the sexy alien. They they like mosaic. They go on all the all the best sites on mosaic. They they use mosaic WhatsApp to talk to each other. They don't have any opinions of their own because they use mosaic Twitter. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they're all dialed in. So do you think that the uh, the reasons the alien is aliens invade is that the their Chan sites basically took over the entire society they're really struggling with the fact that the outsiders have access to all of this information but yet they're not really equipped to deal with it so i mean there's a lot of issues there a lot of alien <laughs> like outsider conspiracy theories and stuff are taking hold you know it's uh, it's really toxic actually 
There's a pretty cool boss fight at the top of this tower. This is the first boss fight that I felt actually landed in anyway. You fight a flying saucer, shoots lasers at you. Oh, the Titan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Titan is in all the marketing material, but even then, my nerd says, Titan, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I didn't feel it was that bad once I worked out the, the cover gimmick. Yeah, again, you're better at games than me, so that's probably <laughs> part of it. But also, I'd, I'd, at this point, you'd start to get enough abilities and skills so that gameplay is more fun and more manageable, but encounters still take a bloody old long time. And they're just not that fun, or at least I didn't find them fun. Other people might. And then you go back to base. Falk, your boss puts you in quarantine. Because you listen to some brown noise. Yeah, he's worried that the aliens might infiltrate, and then he proves the fact that Carter, you, me, I'm an alien, because Carter is the only one who responds to the, the white noise that gets aliens, and he's screaming and he's in pain. He's like, ah, stop it, stop yeah, it, my brain, my brain. And he has a bad dream, and then he wakes up, and it's like, ah, oh, what happened? And nothing happens. No one... No one is like, oh, well, you know, that alien detection device. Yeah. Well, Carter tripped it. Oh, well, he's probably still human, though, isn't he? Well, no. What's the point of that? It's at this point that I sort of noted that the game has... It's got the same sort of inverse difficulty curve that the tactics games have, where the further in you get, the easier the game gets because you've got more skills and you've got better weapons. But I don't think that works as well for a third-person shooter as it does for a tactics game. The encounters aren't set up correctly in this game for 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 that. It's it's tedious to start with, and then it um, its monotony just kind of grinds you down. Right, so Falk sends you to capture Axis at the alien base. In Oregon, which is awesome, because Oregon is awesome. Um, he specifically doesn't want Weaver to go. Yeah. So, of course... Weaver steals a chopper and goes on her own. Yeah, because Weaver's a badass. You don't care. Um, he doesn't want her to go because Falk thinks that Weaver will kill Axis, and he doesn't want that. Is I think this is the mission where the aliens have been like rendering humans down for nefarious purposes, which doesn't really come up again, and I think it should be a bigger deal. Gets abandoned pretty quick. Well, fair enough. I mean, Carter's a prick, so what does he care? And you meet up with Weaver. Half of them are probably commies and the other half are women. I don't care. <laughs> and she says that Axis has been using her brother Pete as a test subject. And I want to know how she knows this. She just seems to know immediately. Like, oh yeah, Pete, he's he's been used as a as a test subject. This is also the mission where I noticed, I think it was the the phantoms, the the outsiders who can turn invisible. Oh, yeah. Um, have This was spoiled for me, because before I even saw one, one of my buddies went, phantoms! They, uh, they, they, they talk a lot, and they kind of ruin the atmosphere sometimes, so shush now. Shush now, sexy boy. Shush now, horse man. You eventually find Pete. He's in, like, the basement of this creepy alien base. Um, and he's too far gone, so Weaver wants to turn off the life support. Can you remember in, I think it was Mass Effect 2, you meet up with a character and he is using his brother 
I think it's called Project Overlord or something like that. Yeah. He's using his yeah, brother to that. power a who is he's magically gifted and it's heavily implied that he's um he has learning difficulties like autism and things like that. He he is powering, he's basically like a human computer. And I thought this was where this was going, but it's not. And I was really upset. But again, that's that's a down fall of this game coming out after the entire Mass Effect trilogy had been released. Like, it has similar ideas at times, but none of them are as good. This is where Carter starts to become creepy. Like, beforehand, he's just a jerk. Angie, we've never been close, but can I kill your brother for you? Please, Angie, it would mean the world to me if I could kill your brother for you. It didn't come off well. Yeah, it's no good. I think Axis is then in the ne- next room, and he's sort of a a weird non-boss fight Ugh. where you have to press some buttons and kill some dudes. I found this fight really frustrating. <laughs> really? really frustrating, yeah. Again, I'm shit, you're good. But it just went on and on and on and on and on and on. And it wasn't necessarily like too difficult, but it just never ended. I, I found it like weirdly trivial for the the point in the game that it is. Weirdly trivial could sum up this game. <laughs> you talk to him for a bit after you fight him. And yeah. then just Weaver just out of nowhere shoots him. Yeah, dead. And this again doesn't really come up again. Folk just like, yeah, that was that was unfortunate. Yeah, it it was a big deal that she didn't kill him. And then she does. Yeah. And then it's like, ah, well, pfft, fuck it. Yeah. Well, you get back and the tone of the base has just completely changed and now you're prepping for a suicide mission. Yeah. Which was cool, but I felt it sort of came a bit out of nowhere. Mm. And you've still got time to do the two side missions that are added at this point, which are in Virginia and California, but you're repeatedly told that you've got like an hour or two to prepare. I feel like we're being absolute arseholes to this game because there are <laughs> there are so many good things. I think the characters are cool and as much as I think Carter is a bit of a prick, there is something nice about playing an arsehole every now and again. We're into the point where I was actually finding the gameplay pretty enjoyable, even if it wasn't super inspiring. I don't think I ever truly enjoyed the gameplay that much, but I was invested to see where it was going. You'll probably have been introduced to it before, but this is the first time that you actually get to see the Avenger, which is the the flying saucer that you've built. You now get to board the UFO. But to, to get to the alien world, you have to fly through an alien portal, which is in the Hoover Dam. So uh, what did you think of the Hoover Dam mission? I liked it because of, I thought, Sexy Boy and Horseman looked fetching in their spacesuits, which are like this tinfoil chromed loveliness. I thought it was pretty cool how you start off on Hoover Dam and then you go through the portal that's under the lake. Yeah. Did you see the the outsiders bullying a sectoid? Oh, that made me really sad. Yeah, I felt bad for the sectoid. They're literally just kicking the shit out of this sectoid. They're bullying him. I felt that the, the sectoids have a much better deal under the ethereals from Enemy Unknown. Because they're like, they're the lowest enemy, but they're still treated with some respect. 
So you go through the portal under the dam to the alien world. Um, there's a fight here. It's fine, like a wave fight on a moving platform. And then the boss alien, um, he pulls a glowy blue thing out of you. This is where the game starts to wrap up a little bit. You uh, you find out, shock horror, that you are a Cylon. But you're not a Cylon. What are you, James? You're an ethereal. Yeah, so you have had an ethereal in you right, since the start of the game when the explosion happens. James, what's an ethereal? In the tactics games, the ethereals are like the boss of the aliens that are invading. And they're like a, a wizened old man with four arms in some robes who sort of float along on magic power, and they've got really powerful psychic attacks. In this, an ethereal is like a, a glowy blue thing, and there's another one that's a glowy yellow thing. Um, I think in the canon, these ethereals are like the ethereals that have transcended their physical form. Buddhist and ethereals. The ethereals from Enemy Unknown and XCOM 2 are the the ones who didn't manage to do that, and the reason they're invading is because they want to do that. My notes say, do you have any ethereal in you? No. Would you like some? <laughs> so that's, and I, that is my final note on the game, actually. <laughs> um, so Carter discovers that his actions have been controlled and governed by this, this creature, which is a, a baby ethereal. That doesn't really understand its place, and it's quite human-centric. And it, you go back to the base, and the ethereal in Carter has a conversation with the ethereal you brought back. Mummy ethereal. It's called Shamash. Yeah, Shamash. And the one inside you is called Asaru. This, this was cool. The idea that throughout the entire game, you have not really been yourself. You've been governed by this other thing. And not only that, but for the remainder of Carter's time in the game, he is fighting against it. Yeah, he really doesn't like this. He he's, becomes actively antagonistic towards the player. And yeah, I suppose that is the interesting thing, isn't it? You never actually play as William Carter in this game. You only play as Asaru, is that what he's called? Yeah. In the reveal, it's pretty cool, because like, the ethereal is actually constantly standing beside behind carter he's like invisible yeah he's got tentacles that are reaching out and like puppeting his arms yeah so it's almost like yeah this is why this is a third person game because you are always behind carter it has this big reveal feel that even if you guessed from the from very early on that there's something going on with carter carter isn't what he seems to be blah 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 if you're that arsehole like me that sits and watches Black Mirror and goes like, oh, it's the dog. That's not real. Like, if you're that kind of pedant like me, then I I don't even think you would have... I don't think you would have guessed this. It, it's a cool reveal, and it shuts people like me up, which is nice, because I need to be shut up most of the time. So once you have this conversation with the other ethereal... You pop back into Carter, but Carter's now got control over his body again. And like a complete dick, he gets out his gun and he shoots the other ethereal. Yeah, he uh, he, he carters this situation. He's like, ah, something I don't understand, or possibly something to do with a woman. Oh, I'm going to shoot it dead. 
literally everyone in the room is going no don't this is a terrible idea and he does it anyway yeah he's basically discovered the answer to the world's problems and he decides to shoot it dead it explodes it explodes he kills the mummy ethereal you you are still the blue ethereal the the baby ethereal but he kills the other one so carter then wakes up in the med bay and he is Falcon Weir. He's, they're trying to convince the outsider captive to do something that he's really not keen on doing. The sexy alien. Yeah. Um, it eventually emerges that they're trying to connect him to Mosaic again because they want to find out what's going on with the aliens. This was foolish because the moment they do this, Mosaic takes control of him and he runs through the base on a rampage, letting go all the prisoners you've taken. Which again... Imagine if this was a character that you had spent time with, fought with. This would be really impactful because you chase him through the base that you spent time in. He's killing people. If you had had him in your squad from Jump and you'd built a relationship, this would have been pretty powerful, I think. As it is, it's it's pretty cool, but it, it lacks... The weight that it, it it lacks the weight that it would have if you'd had more time with the the outsider, and you you kill him, which is whatever. <laughs> and then Carter nicks the bomb that the outsider had got hold of towards the end of the chase, and he takes it to the lab, and he threatens to blow both him and the ethereal up unless the ethereal leaves. And I'll be honest with you, the first time I stayed with him and there is a countdown to him blowing everything up sky high and uh, he does. And that's the end of the game. Yeah, you can um, you can call this bluff and he will blow up the bomb. Yeah, Carter is a maniac. Carter is an ultra prick and a maniac. So at this point, you leave Carter and you can pick one of three characters to possess. Um you basically ask them and then they'll voluntarily let you in yeah um, the three choices are dr weir yeah who i picked nice guy dr weir who is like uh he's immediately like oh i want to study the alien see what's going on i could be i could be really good mates with this alien you can have agent weaver for all intents and purposes she is the napalm death song scum she is just a blast <laughs> of hatred at this moment. She's like, oh, I'm going to kill everything. Death, 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 death. Or Director Falk. Who is a bit of the in-between. Yeah. So I picked Dr. Weir. I picked Weaver, Angela okay. Weaver, who, because she had seemingly had a character transplant and become an, a murderous psychopath. And I wanted to see where that was going. <laughs> I picked Weird because he seemed like the one who was least an arsehole. I figured, like, I'd like to be the nice guy for the last hour of this game. So, having picked which body you're going to possess, you fly the Avenger to the alien mothership. There's some pretty cool fights on the alien ship. Yeah, it's more of the same. There is a fight, 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 fight. Uh, Carter turns up somehow. I didn't really understand that. He, he turns up again. Well, you brought him with you for reasons that I don't fully understand. Oh, okay. I probably missed that. So Carter's come with you. He just sabotages you at every turn for, again, reasons I don't fully understand. Just being a prick, basically. 
at one point you have to pick one of the two people that you didn't possess you you rescue them and then you have to go and try and rescue the other one but you'll inevitably fail so folk ended up dying i don't think that had any actual influence on the on the ending yeah it's it happened uh, it occurred and you have a cut scene where you stand over their body the body of the fallen one and you're like oh no you're dead. You capture Carter, who has been a major pain in the arse for this entire section. Just being a prick. And you can pick whether you shoot him or not. Did you shoot him? I didn't shoot him. I didn't shoot him. I don't think it makes a difference either, but it's a thing you can do. He just sort of gives up at that point as well, doesn't he? Yeah. I I didn't because we're is quite a nice guy and I think that the ethereal would respect that. So now we're on the last fight, which is basically a never-ending wave battle. It's a war of attrition until you get to press a button and then when you press the button the game ends. Yep. I thought it was a pretty good last exam fight. You'll fight basically every enemy you've encountered. You've got all the toys. Uh, my only complaint was at one point one of the drones which can heal the enemies it was summoned by the drone commander enemy Mm. got stuck in the wall okay so i couldn't shoot it but it could pick up my dudes oh that's no good yeah it eventually got unstuck from the wall and i shot it but there was a good like five minutes where it could crowd control me with impunity it should be noted at this point that uh, Horseman died oh, no. tragically. So he was sent to the glue factory during this fight, which, you know, very sad, sexy boy, obviously going to be really upset about that. You press the button. And the game ends. You merge with, uh, what's it called, with Mosaic. You were weird. So what happens in the weird ending of this game? He makes the outsiders stop attacking, and then he makes them rebuild the society and leave. Mm-hmm. He works on a cure for the sleepwalkers, and he convinces them that there was a major flu outbreak that made them delirious. And he carefully disassembles all of the technology to have it stored away and studied. Cool. Um, Weaver kills everything. <laughs> she just kills absolutely everything she doesn't let the sleepers survive they're dead she doesn't let the outsiders survive they're dead she is a maniac and a monster and it kind of comes out of left field but uh yeah she is a murdering arsehole but i uh, fair play to her she she did what she needed to do so i think folk is a probably having watched it on youtube and read the wiki i think folk actually has the most interesting ending because he his ending changes whether or not you saved weir or weaver really yeah oh how so if folk merges he commands the outsiders to stand down and then he has them killed he preserves some of the technology Mm -hmm. all of the evidence of the attacks is erased and if you picked weir the sleepwalkers get treated. But if you picked Weaver, they can't be treated, so they're put down. Huh. Interesting. And Falk is the canonical ending. Yeah. I, I, it, there's no sure thing that it's the canonical ending, but it is the one that makes the most sense. 
James, did you like the Bureau XCOM Declassified? I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought to thought I was about two hours into the game. By the end of the game, I quite liked it, but the first couple of hours were pretty miserable. All right, it's not brilliant by any stretch of the imagination. It is a bog-standard average game ex- gameplay experience. But within the twists and turns of the narrative that maybe you can see coming from a mile away, there is something fun and kind of popcorn about it. James, did the Bureau XCOM Declassified sell very well? It sold poorly to the extent that the company that made it no longer really exists. Did it review well? Well, it got an Industry 6 in some places, which is... I'd, I'd actually say it's a little bit better than that. I think a lot of people were probably put off by the early level, like we were. If grading systems... if you know, out of 10 grading systems worked as they should do, then I do think a six is fair. But considering that a lot of things are um, graved on, graded on a curve, then I, I think a six is quite low. But what happened? Why was it a six out of 10? Why didn't it sell well? This is possibly a lot more interesting than the game itself. It's actually absolutely fascinating. The, what happened with this game and it takes us all the way back to 2005 when Atari sold the rights of XCOM to Take-Two and then in 2006 active well I suppose that's when development of this game started underneath the uh, under the guise of initially this game being called XCOM Enemy Unknown that's what it was going to be called back in 2006. And then it just became XCOM. And what kind of a game was XCOM going to be? Well, XCOM went through a few different um, iterations. A, a game that is mentioned in the... We're getting most of this from an article from 2013 on Polygon, called The Many Faces of the Bureau. Yeah, by Chris Plant, which is a fantastic article and will be in the notes. Yeah. That originally the game was going to be a lot more X-Files in the 50s and 60s sort of deal. And there was going to be a lot more investigation and less shooting. Yeah. Which is a game I'd have liked to play. Yeah, certainly. I mean, this idea went so far as to be shown at E3... No, they had a trailer for this idea. You can go online on YouTube and see the first person shooter that was just called XCOM, where you basically walked around as G-Men and investigated goo monsters, which did make it into the game, the silicoids. And some of the environments have the black goo dripping down off them. It's not just the uh, silicoids that are left over from this stage, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you go online and go on YouTube, there is a 22-minute gameplay presentation, which I believe was a behind-closed-doors presentation for press from E3 2011, I believe. But I might be wrong. That might be 2012. But anyway, the the base in in its pretty much entirety looks the same as the XCOM base in the Bureau. There is Angela Weaver, albeit she is a bit more of like a money penny figure in this gameplay demo. But you basically play the um, 
the mission where you go and get uh, Dr. Weir. You play that mission and it is in a first person perspective, but all the beats are there. You go down the small town America uh, high road, the um, the main town, um, the main street, sorry. It's that mission in almost its entirety. However, it doesn't have sectoids. Um, it doesn't have uh, it doesn't have some of the things that would be in the final game. But a lot was carried over. A lot of the slightly weird art choices that came up were, in many ways, a response to and design choices were, in many ways, a response to the twenty twelve XCOM enemy known yeah. by Firaxis. For example, the mutons have a a face that's more or less lifted out of Enemy Unknown, the 2012 game. And the sectoids are basically ripped straight from that game, but with a collar. And I think actually there is a mention of them sharing the assets with the strategy game. You're, you're right. This game is a reaction. Everything about this game is is reactionary. The development is, again, fascinating. It started out as being Irrational's project, Irrational who developed uh, Bioshock. And then they they kind of cut ties from the project and it became a 2K Marin, 2K Australia project, which obviously 2K Marin is, um, is in America and 2K Australia is in Australia. That is a big old time difference. And when you're both working on a project like this, it, it you need to be in contact. And they went through various guises. They were both working on the project together. At one point, Australia was just making the base, the um the hub for the uh, for the game. Then one of them was working on the multiplayer, one of them wasn't. It's it was 2K Australia's project, and then it was 2K Marin's project. Then they were combined into 2K Marin and 2K Australia. Then they went, uh, sorry, they were combined underneath the 2K Marin banner, but they were Australia and Marin together. It was quite messy and they they went through different directors. Uh, the, the studio had Alyssa Finley, who everyone seemed to really get on with and she she ended up being the producer for the game. She was uh, she was replaced uh, in her role by an executive from Two K, and a lot of reports seem to differ. Of some people think, well, Two K didn't have enough; uh, they weren't hands on enough, and then they became too hands on. It did. It just feels like when you read the article and when you look at reports and you go through message boards, it was very messy, and we are very. I suppose looking to have any game whatsoever out of this. Like this game came out. Oh, sorry. This game started its life prior to Bioshock, uh, the first Bioshock being released, and this game started its development process uh, around the same time that uh, that the first Mass Effect was released. But yet. Before the game actually came out, Bioshock Two was released. Uh, Bioshock Infinite had been worked on; it was being worked on. The entire Mass Effect trilogy had been released, and given this game just 
kind of turns into a Mass Effect light. It you kind of it's it's difficult to recommend this game over one of those juggernaut titles like Mass Effect. And yeah, the the studio is being pulled in all different directions, and it it kind of shows. Like this game is a cobbled together of different ideas and different philosophies. And it's kind of amazing that we got something that was as strong as it was. <laughs> I think it's also quite impressive that it doesn't end up being quite so much a confused mess as some other games that were in development that long and went through so many iterations. Yeah, it is incredible how talented people are that they can take something that is really fucked and it is not going well and they can turn it into something good and they can rescue it in some form and no one's we we're not going to lie and say the bureau is a, a great great game it's not it's it's a, an okay game it's a fine game and there's nothing there wrong are worse with that. ways to spend a rainy day exactly there is nothing wrong with being a fine game there is nothing wrong with that and given its development cycle i think it is an achievement and everyone working on it should be nothing less than proud of what they uh what they were able to accomplish. Well, notably, I encountered basically no software issues. It just worked. I didn't yeah. have any serious bugs beyond Carter's hand clipping into his holster, which isn't really a bug. It's just slightly sloppy. If you have time, it's worth going out and looking at what the game was going to be. It's first-person shooter, uh, guys. There is also a there is also a very highly produced um, big budget trailer which hints at what the game's tone was maybe trying to be, and it's a so it's a live action trailer with Carter and his men going into a small town and basically burning away the remnants of an alien invasion that's happened there. And that concept, like watching that trailer, watching that almost short film that they that they created for this game, it makes you excited about that concept. But this game, the Bureau, never really lives up to that. You, it it would have been so fun to go in there and basically be the guys who clean up after the after hell has gone on and be trying to piece together what happened. That would have been a lot of fun. But that's not the game we got. But the game we got was fine. And it's amazing a game came out of this mess at all. <laughs> so we do going to do the sausage test? We should do the sausage if you If you could go into a butcher's shop, right? And you said... My man, my butcher. Your so finest... we've got an ima imaginary butcher. Yeah, so we'll name him at some point. Gary. <laughs> what if the butcher was Carter? Well, I think he wouldn't stay in business because he'd just insult all his customers. Well, I think we're his only customer. I mean, to be okay. fair, we're probably the only people who's played the Bureau in a long time. <laughs> so we go in. There's William Carter and his new guys as a butcher. And we say, Carter, my man, 
Your finest, the Bureau, XCOM Declassified. What does he come out with? I think he comes out with... It wants to be a posh spiced sausage. But he's not quite got the spice mix right. Right. So it's it's not actively unpleasant, but it doesn't quite work. Oh, that's interesting. I think he'd come out with a chicken sausage. Okay. And he'd try and fob it off as pork. And you'd get home and you'd eat it and go, I this isn't pork. This is chicken or something. <laughs> and you would feel a bit jaded, a bit cheapened by it. But eventually you'd come around to the idea and you wouldn't mind having a chicken sausage again. You know, you're kind of like, wow, I mean, it's incredible that this chicken sausage even exists. It's some nice mesh. It's a perfectly adequate meal. There is nothing wrong with a chicken sausage, but it's not what we thought it was going to be. And if you go next door, then they've got an XCOM sausage that's full pork and it's beautiful. Pork was lovingly hand-reared, perfectly prepared. And it had sectoids in it from the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us for whatever reason, you can reach us on Twitter at bangerspod, or you can email us at bangerspodcast at gmail.com. Bye!